onto the word. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22 says this. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So I read this incident about a pastor who was asking his congregation and said, who here has forgiven all of their enemies? And about a third of the hands went up and he went, oh, very, very impressive. And he said, who here would like to forgive all of their enemies? And almost every hand went up except for one little old lady at the back row. And he said to her, what's going on with you? Um, She says, oh, I don't have any enemies to forgive. And he said, that is amazing. You've lived an awesome life. You don't have any enemies to forgive? She says, yeah, I outlived all the jerks. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, today I want to talk about forgiveness. You know, it was one of these weeks near the end of the week, I I started not to feel that great and had a bit of a bug. And and I don't like it because I just don't like sickness in my body at all. I believe we're the healed and I believe it's our righteous right to walk in healing. Nonetheless, as we all go through trials and in life, and, and, but we, we know it is the will of God to heal, and, and not only from the word of God, but it's just evident in his natural grace. You cut yourself, and healing's already in motion. God has already designed us to be the healed, and we know because of the fall, we struggle, and we go through different situations. However, it is his will. So when I get into these challenges, I, I tend to get a little bit irritated and a little bit grumpy because I don't like pain, and I don't like things going on, and, and it starts to bug me in the situation. And so, you know, it does drive me to quote more scripture and whatnot, but um, it can leave me a little bit irritated, growly, frustrated. And the reason is, is I don't get as much done and I always want things to be done all the time. And, and I don't want to be around people as much during that process. And so it does. It's a, it's a little bit irritating because I do not like being in pain. And so when I think about pain, and I've thought about it a lot over the years and reading scripture and whatnot and, and you know, people being in pain. Um, I came to realize that pain is not our enemy. It's not. Pain just lets you know that an enemy is present. So the pain part is not the enemy. Pain is just a telltale sign that an enemy is present or was present. I'll give you an example. I went to move a trailer there last year, a year before last, actually, and uh, backed the truck up to the trailer, and I went to put the trailer on the back of the hitch, and over the period of time, because I had not used the trailer in a long time, a wasp had made their nest on the inside of the ball of the trailer, and when I went to grab it and put it on there, a whole bunch of wasps came out, and I was wearing shorts, and before I could even blink, I must have got hit about 12 times on the knee, and uh, I jumped around a little bit, yelled a little bit, But the fact was, I came to realize that that pain was not my enemy. It was just telling me that an enemy is present, right? So pain's not the enemy. The wasps were. We had another incident several years ago. We were in Oliver, and my wife decided she was going to go to the outhouse. And um, all of a sudden, there was a scream, and her coming running out of the outhouse. Thankfully, she had uh, dressed herself before she flew out of the outhouse. 
but came to tell us that she sat down on the outhouse and a bee had stuck his stinger in the rear end of Sherry. And so another bee story, but the realization was it wasn't the pain in her butt that was the problem. It was the bee that stung her in the butt. So pain is not the enemy. It just lets us know that an enemy is near. Pain can come in many different ways. It's just part of life. It happens. Like I said earlier, as much as we want to be perfect in every situation, we're not Jesus. We have trials and tribulation, and pain will come in our life. Sometimes it is self-inflicted. A lot of times, actually, it's self-inflicted. We inflict pain to ourselves. We do some crazy stuff. Every time I see Jonathan and Jake wrestling and throwing each other on the ground, uh, and they're like, Dad, my back, and you push on my back, and, all, and it's self-inflicted pain to yourself. You're having fun, but it's self-inflicted pain. And so, yeah, pain can be self-inflicted. It can come from other people, but pain is a process of life. Speaking of self-inflicted, I remember one time when I was about six or seven years old, and I was in swimming lessons, and... Um, I was dropped off at the swimming lessons and my mom was going to pick me up after it was all over. And so I got into my shorts and I went in my swimming lessons. And after my swimming lessons, I realized that uh, I'd left my underwear on under my shorts. And so I didn't want to put my underwear back on. And so I threw on my jeans. And as I was getting real quick, because I was a little bit late getting ready for my mom, I went zip. (laughs) Self-inflicted. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. I went to the car door and my sister was there and my sister had a friend in the car. And I'm like, no. And so I got in the car and I can remember this day having to drive this person home. My mom says, we have to drive so-and-so home first. Are you kidding me? So we had this long drive to drive this person home before we finally dropped her off. She got out of the car and as soon as the car door closed, I was like, mom. And so we went home. And my dad came out of the house. It was a Saturday. And uh, he came out of the house. And it was, I, man, it was a, like a terrible event. I remember he, he cut my jeans off. And then with the hands of, I was going to say a surgeon, no, but the hands of just this tough old dude decided he was going to bring freedom. And all of a sudden, with one good zit, I was free. But I remember it was yet like yesterday. And it's probably good to remember because it let me know that Life can be rough, but sometimes we just inflict pain on ourselves. And I know I'm being humorous, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. It wasn't humorous for me at the time. Matter of fact, it probably took me like five years to laugh about the situation. I probably didn't tell anybody until I was like 15 or 16, actually, because it was pretty embarrassing. I imagine my sister did, but pain can be self-inflicted. Pain can be brought on by other people. Again, I keep sharing my pain stories. Man, you think that I had a terrible life. But uh, that was self-inflicted. Another time I was inflicted by pain was with somebody else, and that's happened many times over the years. But I remember one particular time that uh, I was hauling hay, and this is when I was older. I was uh, in my 20s, and I used to haul a lot of hay, and we'd sell hay on this end, and I would actually haul with Sherry's uncle. And uh, he had his rigs, and we'd go, and we'd load hay up, and we were all over the place. And one time we were going to Rock Creek, and on the way to get to Rock Creek, you, you go through Princeton. And so we, had, we were hauling two or three days in a row. And so we had come back, we unloaded the hay trailers, and we were going to have to leave early in the morning again about four o'clock. And so we had a quick uh, bucket of KFC that night. And then I went home and he was going to pick me up real early again. I, again, I think it was like four or 4.30. And uh, quick bucket of KFC. And then I heard the rig in the morning burr, burr, outside and I was ready to go. And as I woke up, I remember saying to Sherry, oh no. 
She's like, what? And I said, I'm never going to eat chicken again in my life. And so right then and there, I felt something really, really weird going on. And I jumped in the truck um, of Sherry's uncle. And uh, by the time we got to Chilliwack, I couldn't hold anything down anymore. And so he pulled over and I spent some time on the side of the road and, and relieving, getting stuff out. And, and I thought I was going to be better, jump back in the truck. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon I realized that I had gotten seriously bad food poisoning, terrible food poisoning. And so I still, again, just the type of personality that I am, keep going. I'm just going to muscle this thing out. I'll be fine by this time and whatever. And going over the whole Princeton, I remember I, 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 was start, I was so sick, I was starting to get delusional. And half of this I don't remember, but they told me later that I was actually yelling at the driver thinking that cars were coming head on because I was so out of it. As we kept going, the pain got worse and worse and worse. I was just terrible. If anybody's ever had like a bad, bad food poisoning, you know what I'm talking about. But the worst of all is because I was hallucinating. One time I thought I, was, I had rolled down the window when I went to uh, throw up. I didn't roll down the window. And Sherry's uncle and uh, Sherry's cousin were not too happy about that because all of a sudden they were pain inflicted with what was going on inside the vehicle. But by the time we got to Princeton, I was in so much pain that I said, just get me out of the truck, drop me off somewhere, and uh, you guys keep going on. I just want to walk and find a hospital. So, of course, they didn't let me do it, but I was so out of my mind that I would have gotten out of the truck in the middle, and it was, it was, it was cold. It was real cold. I would have gotten out of the, the truck in the middle of the snowy blizzard. I wouldn't have cared. I was so out of my mind at the time. The only thing worse I've ever had than that was that kidney stone. So out of my mind with this food poisoning that you could have dumped me anywhere, and who knows, I could have froze to death in the middle of nowhere. It wouldn't have mattered. But the reason why I'm taking all these stories and coming to here is that sometimes whether pain is self-inflicted or inflicted by somebody else, we can get to positions and places in life where we're under so much pain that we don't even know how we're acting anymore. We can get so full of pain in life that we don't even know how we're acting anymore, that it actually takes somebody else to tell us how we're acting because pain causes issues in our life, whether it's brought on ourselves brought on by other people, pain tells us to make very selfish decisions and it will make us do decisions that do not think the consequences through. And we see that in the lives of so many people. We see it in the lives of our kid and our youth. We're always talking to them because sometimes they're in pain and they want to make decisions to just curb the pain, but they don't understand the consequences. And we're all like that in life. Pain makes us do crazy stuff. And I'm not just talking about physical pain, of course. I think sometimes the worst pain can be emotional. Emotional pain can be so powerful and it can affect us in many, many, many ways. Not only does it hurt us, but you know the saying that hurt people hurt people. And so the more pain that we have in our lives, whether it's physical or emotional, we have to be aware because when we are hurting, not only do we ourselves hurt, but hurt people hurt people. I see it in marriages. Friendships, businesses, every area of life hurt people, hurt people. I've seen people treat their kids so terribly going through a divorce because they hate the spouse so much that they don't care what the kid hears. They don't care what is going on. It is just unbelievable. Their hate and their pain for someone else sometimes can even bypass the well-being of their very own kids. Hurt people, hurt people. And so the fact is, we need to come to the understanding that if you are in pain, if I am in pain, I have the ability to hurt people. 
If I'm in pain, I have the ability to hurt people. I have the ability to make selfish decisions and create bad consequences. And often when we were in the middle of pain, we get into this victim mentality where we start having a right to be the way we are. Well, if you were only where I was, and if you only felt like I felt, and I have a right to be like this, whether it's self-inflicted or especially if it's inflicted by somebody else, we have this right of pain all of a sudden too, where I can act like this because this is what happened to me. I have a right, and I have a right to be critical, and I have a right to be critical of others because of the pain that I am in. The fact is that's not, it's your truth, but it's not the truth. We hold fast to that. Oftentimes when we're in pain, we see negative situations. We see negative in current situations. Oftentimes people with a bad past have trouble seeing a good future. You know, all men are bad, all women are bad, or that because of the relationships that maybe people have been through, or maybe they've had bad dealings in, 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 in whatever business, and they're negative about the next opportunity, and they get hard-hearted, and the walls go up, and, and all that stuff. It's because past pains affect future productivity. And so Jimmy gets blamed because of what Johnny was like. You know what I'm talking about. And so there's an importance in being healthy. That's why I get so irritated when I'm not in the physical realm, the mental realm. That's why I get irritated because there's a consequence to not being healthy. There's a consequence to being in pain to ourselves and to others. And so that's why it's good that we have a checkup, not only physically, maybe with the doctor, but with Dr. Jesus, or maybe even more importantly, Jesus working through the friends that are really close around us that see how we're acting, being accountable to them to say, hey, I need a checkup. How am I being? How am I acting? Am I being myself? You know, or if you have friends for long enough, they usually just butt in and say, listen, you're not being yourself. It's time to smarten up. But there's an importance on being healthy. And so being healthy, of course, is an ongoing process. But the key, I think, in almost every circumstance to being healthy in the area that I'm talking about, the key is to opening the door to grace and forgiveness. To being healthy in this arena is opening the door to grace and forgiveness, physical or mental. A lot of times I feel like we get stuck in an arena, physically or mentally, is because we don't open the door to grace and forgiveness. Very important. I started off with a scripture that said seven times 77, how often we're to forgive somebody. Now, Jesus didn't want them to do the math and then count up that many times so that they could quit forgiving at that point. He was just talking about a totality. He was saying, listen, every time. And that's why the disciples went on to say, oh, increase our faith. Because it's not easy. It's not easy. Forgiveness is one of those areas, and I've talked to a lot of people in my life. Forgiveness is an area that when I'm talking to people, as soon as I know I'm getting into that arena, I start to tread really lightly. Because I know that when you get into the arena of unforgiveness, the sweetest looking people can turn into alien. They can turn into a T-Rex. It's just a button. Why? Because pain. And hurt people hurt people. And then hurt people build walls. And they don't know the situation they're in. So being healthy is important. And the key to that is opening the door to grace and forgiveness. Now, a lot of times when forgiveness is taught, the scripture from Mark 11, 25, 26 is used. And I want to deal with this because I believe it's a hang up for a lot of people 
and can really get them into fear and mess them up. Now, Mark 11, 25, 26 says this. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now leave that up. Now you can see why this is a touchy spot for people that have been around the Christian world a little while. And so they'll even yell at you the fact of, I have forgiven them. Because <laughs> they have to. Because if you're not, you're in trouble. And so a lot of time this verse is used to scare people into forgiveness. But there's no power in fear. The Bible says fear has torment. There's no power in fear. And the Bible actually tells us that the strength of sin is the law. So the more we push the law in this area, the stronger sin has a hold. And pretty soon you're not only just scared of not forgiving, you're scared of God. And so you even start lying to him. Oh, I love him. No. Or you have these conversations without God like he doesn't hear. And so the scripture's used. But here's the thing what we need to understand is that I don't have a long time to get into a Bible lesson, but let's just have a little short one. When we read the Bible, there's the Old Testament, there's the Gospels and the New Testament. A lot of times we just say Old and New Testament. But the fact is the New Testament doesn't really, the, the, the earliest possible start of the New Testament is at the resurrection of Christ. Some people say not until Pentecost, but the reality is, is there is no New Testament until Jesus dies and is raised again. The New Testament is about his death. It's his new will and testament. It's when someone dies, the testator gets to give over his will. So we're walking in the new will after Jesus' death and resurrection. So we enter into that New Testament. So really it's the Old Testament. Really Jesus walking in this period of the Gospels, which is the Old Testament, and then the New Testament hits. And so when we read our Bible, we need to be very careful on what is going on, who is Jesus speaking to, and what is he speaking about. And when we get to these verses, Jesus is talking to the people of the law. Up to this point, people are walking in the law. It's like you do this and this will happen. And every year you need forgiveness for your sins and atonement and all this kind of stuff. And there's all these rules and laws and and everything going on. And so Jesus would show up many, many, many times. And these people would act all righteous and they'd be like, I'm the forgiven. And he would just nail them. He'd nail them on the things in their life. And he says to them here, if you have one thing against anybody, if anyone here has anything against anybody, and that's what the law does, he can just like bring everybody in the room to their knees. And if you don't forgive them, my father in heaven will not forgive you either. And so what do you think their reaction is? Because a lot of them there likely had some unforgiveness going on, probably against Jesus himself, right? And so they got unforgiveness going on. And so uh, uh, different reactions on the inside. I'm sure, I'm sure those righteous ones were like, oh, I can forgive anybody. And I've forgiven all my enemies. And, and, or some might be, you know what? Well, some people don't have a right to be forgiven. And I, you know, I'm good with God or whatever it may be. But Jesus' whole point when he talks to the, the Pharisees and the lawmakers is he is there to make everybody guilty. That's the reason why he's there. That's the reason why he's speaking. That's the reason for the law. And Jesus comes up and he makes everybody guilty in these circumstances. The only time he's getting mad is when people are acting like they're not guilty, that they're so self-righteous and Jesus takes it to them. And he brings them the law and he does it. Why? So that everybody in the room is guilty. For what reason? It's because you need to be guilty to be saved. That's why he's there. It's like everybody's guilty. He wants everybody to say, oh my goodness, I can't do this. And he goes, you're right. You need me. That's the reason 
for the law. And so everybody there, he made guilty. Why? Because he wanted everybody to realize, even in the area of forgiveness, they're going to need him. They're not going to be able to make it to heaven without him. They're not going to make it in the presence of God without him. They need him. They do. And this happens time and time and time again in the scriptures. I was having a conversation with somebody just even this week about when Jesus is discussing divorce and the same thing. He's like so adamant in an area where he says that unless you divorce for fornication and marry another, you are in adultery and that who you marry is in adultery forever. It's like a scary verse for those who have failed in life. Really scary. But when you read it in context of what is going on, the same thing's happening. Jesus says, this is the way it is. Not because he doesn't want to offer grace. What he's doing is making everybody guilty. And if you read it in context, right before that happened, right before he says that, he says, if any of you even looks at somebody with lust, with her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And then he goes on to say that. Well, he already made the entire panel guilty. And unless all of them there have never had a lustful thought in their entire life, which near impossible, and maybe people are just thinking sexually lust. No, like just even the lust. Oh, I wish that was my husband. Or, oh, I wish they were like that. Or whatever the lust may be. He says, if any of you one time have had that while being married, you are an adulterer. And then he goes on to talk about that situation. He's already made the whole panel guilty. Jesus, every time he speaks to these people is, listen, everybody is guilty. Now he's not condoning the act. He's not saying, okay, now go get divorced. We love divorce. Of course not. He's saying, listen, if you want to get right down to the letter of the law, you're all guilty. You all need me. Now he's not saying change your actions and don't forgive and get divorced. No, he's saying, listen, you're going to need grace for every area of your life. Every area of your life, not only to be forgiven, but to be able to walk any of this out, you need grace. That's what he does. And so in this situation, he's not saying, listen to the people who are going to come to him. You know, you're going to have to worry about forgiveness your whole life. No, he's saying, listen, you're in trouble. Without me, you're in trouble. Why? Because you've, you've, it's impossible to forgive everybody for everything. It's impossible without him. That's what he's saying. So what's he saying? You're guilty. Yes, you are. Now come to me and I will help you. Rather than try to do, come to me and you will be. It's getting good, isn't it? So, law of this grace. And it doesn't mean it's not truth. It just means the truth is not for us anymore. It's still the truth. And it's still for us. It just doesn't mean we are bound by it. It doesn't mean that there's not justice to be paid either. It means that Jesus paid it. Even for all the adulterous acts, everything. Otherwise, salvation requires a work. And salvation requires nothing but faith. That's it. That's it. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Well, what about Jesus? Exactly. He was telling him you're guilty. You're going to need it. Are you with me? So it doesn't mean there doesn't need to be justice paid. It means that he paid it. And it doesn't mean that there isn't any consequences. We talked about the consequences. Unforgiveness is an enemy. It gives us the pain, but unforgiveness is an enemy. It makes us a different person. It affects us. It will even affect our health. It will. Medically proven to affect our health. Unforgiveness will. And why I even started to talk about it this week is Laird and okay just to share a quick conversation there? We were talking and they were tearing down the, the house up there this week for Nana to build and, and uh, they had to get the asbestos out first and we were just chatting about asbestos and 
And uh, Laird had said, you know, I was younger. We had worked with some asbestos and stuff. And, and he said, but that's not how I got my cancer. That's not how I got cancer. And he says, I just basically said, why? He says, well, because it wasn't in the lungs anyways. And he says, I know how I got my cancer. I said, how'd you get your cancer? Bitterness and unforgiveness, he said. <laughs> Bitterness and unforgiveness. He knew it. That's the consequences of this stuff. And so our consequences are not God is not going to accept us anymore. Our consequences are we are no longer the person that needs to be in unforgiveness. We need to, by faith, realize we are forgiven and therefore need to forgive. And so the New Testament scripture for us living on this side of the resurrection the New Testament scripture for forgiveness is Ephesians 4.32 that says this. Be kind to one another. That's a, that's, a, that's a sermon right in itself, that top line right there. It actually talks about an ongoing process. It was very similar to a couple weeks ago when I talked about um, consider one another. It talks about this very intent consideration of people. And why it's good to come to church is because that's part of church. We're supposed to know when people are up and down. And this is the same way. It's this ongoing process of purposely being kind to somebody. Kind, tenderhearted, but get this, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is the New Testament scripture. So how did God in Christ forgive you? Through, through acceptance in Christ, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how he forgave us. That's, that's, how, he, that's how we're forgiven, is because of our position through Christ. And how did he forgive us? Totally. Totally. One sacrifice, the Bible says, forever. As far as the east is from the west, Hebrews says your sin and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So how did he forgive us? Completely. Did we deserve it? Not a chance. Why do we have it? Jesus. One reason, Jesus. And he says, now that's how you forgive someone else. Not because they did everything wonderful to you. Not because they came and asked for repentance. Not because of all that. Why? Because God in Christ forgave you. That's why. The only reason. Why? Because when we go, you're wrong, the law has fingers pointing back at us saying, oh yeah? What about you? Do you deserve it? He's not saying they're right. He's saying, I forgave you, now you forgive. Several years ago, I had a crazy situation going on here. We had a nasty whatever church split. A lot of rumors started to go on about me, and there was a really bad rumor. And so I was a little irritated, and I wanted to go and take a lie detector test because they spread it all over town. So I did. I went and took a lie detector test. And I went to this guy who used to do South African criminals, and it was like a scary situation. Anyways, I went to this guy, and it was not his first rodeo. He used to put in, um, like I said, South African uh, mafia in jail through lie detector tests on what was going on. And so I got there, and it was, like I said, it was just a wild situation. I was almost regretting it from the time I showed up. First of all, he wanted to make sure I wasn't there to try to beat it. And he was just grueling, 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 grueling every situation. He's asking me everything from about all parts of my life, every different area. It just went on and on, on in areas that I was not comfortable talking about. And uh, he's trying to bring up things from my past. And he's like provoking me with when you were in high school and you and this and this and that. And he's asking me all these interview questions. And so when he's done, he hooks me up to the machine. And the machine was an ordeal in itself. It was like there was wires on my fingers and my chest and my head. I sat on this butt pad. And I'm like, what's this for? He says, because if you even clench your butt muscles, it's going to go off on the machine. So I'm in this lie detector test. Uh, he asked me this situation. Did you? No. Did you? No. Did you? No. 
And it all had to do with a rumor that had taken place that I was not faithful to my wife. And that was the one that ticked me off so bad. So I wanted to go to the thing and then, ah, forgiveness. Let me breathe right now because I feel myself tensing up wanting to get into a fight. (laughs) Anyways, so all these things, he's asking me all these questions. But then in the interview, he starts asking questions that he didn't, it's like he's asking this question that is so vague. And every time he asks this particular question, there is memories from my childhood, memories from a teenager, memories as a young adult that started coming up in me that I, I swear I, I, I had forgotten. I had forgotten them. But I'm under this pressure. I'm hooked up to this machine, and it starts to, to bubble up. These things, you know, just these kid scenarios and all these things and things that I said and things that I did and things that I might have looked at. And all this, it's all like, but, and I can't stop it. And it's like all of a sudden my emotion, like it's just it's unstoppable all of a sudden. And every time he asks this question, and so when, I'm o- when it's over, he sits me down in the chair and he's looking through his computer and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, because I was so nervous on this machine, I'm thinking, what if I failed this thing? So anyways, I'm on the seat, he presses this thing, and it's like, um, and he's looking at it. And I'm, he's looking at it, he goes, there is less than 0.0000000000% chance that you lied on this thing. He goes, congratulations, and hands me the paper. But, now let me get to the real story of this. When this first thing still happened, I was like so angry about this situation, how people could betray and do the things they did. And so, I remember at the time, Steve and a couple people around, I'm like, I'm going to go take a lie detector. I got nothing to hide. And they said to me, what are you going to do? Every time somebody starts a rumor, you're going to run off and take a lie detector test? And uh, I'm like, yeah, you're right. And so, you know what? I didn't take it until like years later. And I took it years later because I didn't want to be pushed into it. But this whole time I began to think about it is I wanted to take it, but it was for a different reason. I began to think about writing just in self-healing, writing some chapters in a book and what took place. And I wanted to feel what it was like to be hooked up to something that you couldn't lie. Because I wanted to be able to relate it to standing before God on judgment day. And so that's the reason why I went and took it. And so I want to tell you something. When I was done that, I had a piece of paper in my hand that I could have went, you know, yeah, you bunch of idiots. You know, which, I mean, I had my words anyways with those guys. But anyways, I could have, that could have been my reason. But it wasn't. I hardly showed anybody. Why? Because my reason for there was I wanted to know what it felt like be hooked up and not be able to lie. And so when I was done, I didn't feel better than when I walked in there. I kind of felt worse. And the reason I felt worse is I had this moment of these thoughts bubbling up and, you know, they weren't anything incriminating, but it was like, I wouldn't want people to know some of the stuff that I thought and and as a kid and things that I completely forgot. And the fact of the matter was, is yes, this paper said that I was completely innocent on a zero percent chance that I could have lied. But the fact is, I'm still a stinking sinner that's terrible. That's how I left that day. I'm still, my God, I still need God. I still need God. And that's what Jesus does. He says, first of all, the law comes and it says, you think you're righteous? Let me just push a couple buttons on the inside of you because I've been there since you've been born. Let me just float. I'm talking about 
pre-coming to Christ. Let me just float some law here and see really how good you are. Because I tell people all the time, if I could put every thought up on screen behind me, you guys could act as righteous as you wanted. But if that could happen, you guys would run for the back door. Because everybody has got some things that they're not proud of. Whether it be an idle thought that God says will be judged on judgment day without Christ. And when I walked out of there that day, I thought, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I am forgiven. That I am not innocent at all. I'm only innocent because of you. In my own works and my own self, I'm not innocent at all. And if it wasn't this, I should be going to hell for that. And I might not have done this, but I should be going to hell for that. And that's why no one stands before him justified. Nobody. And so in Ephesians 4.32, when he says, forgive others, even as I have forgiven you. Sometimes we can just go to that moment and go, oh man, nobody can say, I don't need him. So why are we to forgive somebody else? Because he forgave us. That's it. Even as Christ forgave them. How's that? Totally. Because they deserve it? Not a chance. They don't probably. And some of the stories I've heard, some of the things that you guys have gone through, no. They deserve the electric chair. Some of the people I've heard deserve to be hung up. They do. But it doesn't matter anymore because we're not forgiven because of what we did. We're forgiven because of Jesus. And God now asks us to forgive them even as Christ forgave them, not because they deserve it, just because it's free and we got it. That's it. So we don't go, you deserve forgiveness because you don't. You just say, I don't deserve forgiveness and neither do you, so I better give it to you. That's the reason. That's New Testament forgiveness. So it doesn't make us want to walk in unforgiveness. It does the opposite. That's why people think if you don't push the law, it's going to make you want to sin. No, the opposite happens. You start to feel extremely grateful for where Christ has brought you, and you quit trying to make everybody else accountable because you're just as guilty as them without Christ. Amen? Ban, can you come up here real quick? I know I'm being a little bit long today, but I want to sing a song, and... I ask that you would just meditate in this song about maybe anybody that is, you're having trouble letting go. It's not about whether or not Christ is going to, God's going to allow you into heaven. You're his. You're his. You belong to him. But it'll set you free. It'll set you free. And really, it's a lot easier to forgive when you don't have to justify someone's actions. You don't. You don't have to say they're okay. They just deserve forgiveness? No, they don't deserve forgiveness. But either do we. Either do we. Well, they were worse than us. Well, they probably were, but anything we've done is bad enough not to make it. It's not about God accepting you. It's about allowing his grace to take it from you. Just by faith. And it's okay to say, God, they don't deserve it. Because they don't. It's okay. We don't have to be all holy and cool and think that we have to come to some place in life where we truly somehow, no, they don't deserve it. Either do we. You just extend it for that reason alone. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace and your freedom, God. We thank you, God, that you forgave us totally. Father, we offer that and extend that to others now, God. And we know that we can only do that through your grace and through you. Help us to be and not do. In the name of Jesus, amen.